0: Hi, this is Elaine Grogan Luttrell with Minerva Financial Arts, and you're listening to The Inspiration Place with Miriam Schulman. This episode is sponsored by
1: an art business coaching division of The Inspiration Place. of the inspiration place podcast. I am so thrilled that you're here. Today, I've invited a guest expert in financial education for artists. Because when you're in business, you can't ignore the numbers. But before you get math anxiety over this episode, let me tell you what you're gonna learn. You're going to learn how to identify your business blind spots, why thriving artists need to expand their capacity, and why it is important to learn financial education from someone who works with artists. Today's guest is the founder of Minerva Financial Arts, a company devoted to building financial literacy and empowerment in creative individuals and organizations. Her workshops and presentations have been featured nationally. She teaches at Columbus College of Art and Design, where she served as the department head for business and entrepreneurship until recently. She also served as the Director of Financial Analysis for the Juilliard School and in the Transaction Advisory Service practice of Ernst & Young in New York. She's also the author of Arts and Numbers and a frequent contributor to Professional Artist magazine. Please welcome to the Inspiration Place, Elaine grogan Lutchell. Hello, Elaine, and welcome to the show. Hello, Miriam. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be
0: spending this time with you.
1: Well, I'm really thrilled to have you because this is such an important topic. And I promised my listeners that their eyes, their ears are not going to glaze over immediately with lots of talk about spreadsheets and cash flow. So we're going to talk first about blind spots. What are blind spots that artists might have?
0: Oh, this is such a wonderful place to start because... In working with students and creative individuals from all over the country at various stages in their careers, it's funny how many of them have such a fear when it comes to confronting the financial side of their creative practice, and that in and of itself is probably the biggest blind spot, right? We can't take sort of an ostrich approach to thinking about money, where we just pretend it doesn't happen, or we wish we live in a society where you know it was irrelevant, right? But that's That's not our reality. So the biggest blind spot is probably just and pretending the financial side doesn't exist or will just magically work out at some point, right? It takes intention and mindfulness in order to connect your financial health to your creative practice. So once you get over that blind spot, then it comes to deeper blind spots about wondering sort of if you're pricing your work effectively or Mm. wondering if the work you're making is selling and reaching the right audience sometimes it's more about understanding how much you're making out of each work, right? We can get deeper into some of those. The thing about blind spots is that you don't know you have them,
1: right? Mm -hmm. That's why they're called blind spots. Mm -hmm. So what tool do you recommend for artists or strategy for an artist to uncover these blind spots?
0: Talk to your friends. Just like your friends and your creative collaborators, people who that you rely upon to do studio visits, if you're you know, preparing a body of work or getting ready for a festival, your network of peers, those that you really, really trust, talk to them. They are the best people to identify what's really working in your work and what you're really good at, but they're also the best people to help you point out some shortcomings you may have.
1: Okay, and by the way, if you can't think of
0: people... To call your community, that's, that's our blind spot. spot. <laughs> that's a really, really good <laughs> one. Yeah, absolutely. And what's interesting too is if we step back for a second and think about, you know, what is being financially successful mean to me? Or what is having financially healthy habits or healthy financial habits? What does that mean to me? If you start just sort of with that kind of big picture question, you might get to, a couple of habits you wish you were doing or some things you wish you knew, right? Nobody that's listening wants to go back to school and become a CPA, right? That's insane, right? And you don't have to. No. But maybe one of your blind spots is not checking in with your spending often enough, right? So one question I often ask people I'm working with for the first time, I say, what does it cost you to exist as a human? Mm. And if you don't know that number, that's a blind spot. That's your first blind spot. Sometimes you think you know what it costs you to exist as a human, but you're wrong because you forget about all those things you love spending money on, your indulgences, but the things you don't want to write down in your budget because you feel guilty about them or you think you Mm. shouldn't buy 17 lattes a week or whatever it is. And so I'm big on... Knowing your number, knowing your real number, what does it cost you to exist in the way you want to exist, and then building from there? Because if you start thinking about money from a place of sort of self-loathing or judgment, it's never going to go to a place where you want it to go, a place of abundance.
1: I see too many people, especially artists, not just artists, but really solopreneurs in general, who feel they have to do it all, including managing their numbers. Full disclosure, I have someone who does my bookkeeping for me because I pay employees. I have somebody who does my taxes for me because this is a complicated business. And I also have one of the QuickBook apps on my phone, the Intuit Self-Employed because I like to keep in touch of what I'm spending on on a regular basis. It can't be a once a
0: year surprise. Yes, you're so right. And you identified a second blind spot that a lot of artists have and solopreneurs, as you said, more broadly, which is they don't really admit what they need to run a business well. Yeah. Right. If you are running a business on sort of bare bones, no expenses, that may work for a little bit. But realistically, if you're going to run a sustainable, successful business, you're going to need software. You're going to need a scheduling tool. You're going to need supplies that actually work. You're going to need memberships and application fees if you're applying for shows or grants or anything like that. And you're going to need a budget for having those coffee meetings that come up all the time. And you're going to need a whole lot of time to manage your communications and your inbox and your yeah. relationships, right? So if you're not really honestly looking at how you're spending your time and what resources you really need to run your business in the way you want to, that's a blind spot. That puts you in sort of this delusionally optimistic point of view where you say, it's going to cost me nothing and I'm going to make all the money I want because everybody loves my work. And, and none of those things are
1: true. I also, think it's a blind spot when people artists try to hack things like they don't want to spend the money on something and instead they're spending their time and we just don't have unlimited time to do it all ourselves and especially when there's a tool that can save you so much time that maybe it's only five or ten or fifteen dollars a month that will save you hours of work Yes, you you're can't so right. Be pennywise, pound foolish with your investments, especially when it comes to understanding the things that that you work with clients on. Okay, so we promise people we talk about is capacity. Let's define that first for people who are not familiar with that term.
0: Yes, well it can mean a lot of different things. In the way I think we're talking about it, capacity is what do you have the time and resources to be able to realistically devote to, right? Are we talking creative capacity or personnel capacity or, you know, financial capacity, right? So, resources, time and money, what do you have that you can realistically devote to your business?
1: Yeah, so when we talked about blind spots at the beginning, if you are somebody who is doing it all everything yourself and you have no help, Guess what? That's your blind spot. Yes. I don't think I know any artists who are successful in the long run who didn't get help. And that is whether it's 2019 or back in Rembrandt time. You know, it's like
0: they've all had helpers. So. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's so important to know yourself and know what kind of help you need. I worked with a group, it was a group of writers a bunch of years ago, and we were doing all of these exercises around sort of really, realistically, what do you need to run your business in the way you want to run it? And of course, that connects to the money, but we don't start there, right? Because it's actually about the creative practice, first and foremost. And what came out of that for one writer in particular, she needed childcare. She needed four uninterrupted hours every single day that she could devote to her creative practice. That's so maddeningly simple, but that had been her barrier. And it took sort of figuring out that she didn't need a staff of 45 people and 17 new apps. All she needed was a reliable babysitter for four hours a day so she could leave and write, right? So sometimes the solutions and the idea of building capacity doesn't have to be super, super complicated. You need to really understand yourself and know what you need to be able to do your best work and be your best self. And that includes taking care of yourself, managing the other humans or furry creatures around you that need to be managed, right? And then also supporting your creative practice, the business side of it and the creative side of
1: it. When my kids went off to school is when my creative practice really started to bloom but that didn't mean that I didn't need to hire helps. But what happened for me was that I was able to get my creative time in when they were in school, but then there's that whole other piece of running a business, like putting the artwork on your website, on Etsy, social media, Pinterest, all that stuff. Yes. And instead of hiring a babysitter to take care of my kids so I could do that work, I hired a college student pretty much the same rate. In fact, I think it was when she first started, it was less than the going rate for babysitting because the idea was that I was giving her a skill and I was training her and she was my art intern. So Mm -hmm. I trained her to do that work so that I could spend that time with my children. So yes. that is another way to think about how to manage your business and your money and your time instead of spending the money on a babysitter, spend the time to get some help so you can have that quality time with your family.
0: Absolutely. Or your
1: furry friends, as you said.
0: Yeah. <laughs> For those, well, <laughs> those people who just want to walk a dog or be with their friends. <laughs> yeah. It comes back to knowing yourself, right? What, what is your priority? I wonder too, I don't know if you'd like to share this, but about what percentage of your time do you spend on the administrative side of your business versus actually the making of the work?
1: Well, because my business is pretty multifaceted at this point, I have the podcast, I do online classes, and so there's a lot of my time that is not spent on doing the work of making artwork. And there's a lot of stuff that has to be done by me. So I can't hire, so- I mean, I guess I could. You can't hire somebody to be your podcast host. You can hire somebody else. You know, you could run a business that way. But if you are the face and name of the business, you are the one who's showing up to teach the art classes. So there's certain things that have to be done by me. Everything that doesn't have to be done by me, those are the first places I look to, to see, can I hire somebody else to do this? Really, I go through a three-step process and there's lots of people who teach this. Does it have to be done at all? Can you eliminate it altogether? does it have to be done by a human can we automate it and if it does have to be done by a human does it have to be done by me and if it has to be done by a human but it doesn't have to be done by me that's where I look to see can I get somebody else to do this better than me or cheaper than me or faster than me
0: Yes. For a lot of the clients I work with, it's always 30 or 40% of their time that's spent not making art. Mm. And that exercise of sort of figuring out really how much time are you spending updating your website and sharing things on social media and applying for grants or residencies or whatever it might be, right? Once you start sort of digging into that, it becomes pretty clear that if you want to spend more time in your studio or more time pursuing other things, other aspects of your work, like a podcast or teaching or something else, right? Every yes is a no to something else. Oh, yeah. Right? I'm glad you put so it you that have way. To, you have to say no to things on purpose, which often means going through that process and saying, does this have to be done? And realistically answering that question because, you know, do you really have to fill-in-the-blank mundane tasks that you don't want to do, right? Probably, but maybe not as frequently as you want to. Do you really have to spend 30 minutes on social media every day? Absolutely not. You could schedule out posts in advance and you could use a tool to enable you to do that through one platform, right? That's a great way you can sort of streamline some marketing, but that comes with a cost. So so where's the trade-off? Right, for you? And then
1: people who like to say, oh, it has to be done by me because it's my voice. No, it doesn't have to be done by you because you can tell somebody what to say, because there's a lot of time that's and you can edit it after there's a lot of time just setting it up. If you just say I want six artworks posted, you know, twice a week over the next three weeks, you know, you can tell them where to look for your words. Like maybe you pull it from the listing copy that you already wrote or from a blog post you already wrote or something else. So there's a lot of things that do not have to be done by you.
0: That's that ego getting in the way, right? Yeah, nobody can do it as good as me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and what's interesting about that too is part of running a successful business is knowing your customers really well, right? And there are things your customers value and the things they value the most Those should be done by you. But there are lots of things that, yeah, they're good, they're important to do, but they're not really why your customers value you, right? So sort of understanding the customer's perspective can help you remove a little bit of the ego as well.
1: I have someone doing customer support for me, and the few times I jump in and do it myself, my customers don't even believe it's really me, so it's like, <laughs> oh, why would I waste my time? You know, yeah. it's like they just think it's it says Miriam Shulman, but it's not really Miriam Shulman. So, right.
0: oh, that's so funny! That's such
1: a waste of time. If you want to profit from your passion, whether that's still a side hustle. Or you've been at it for a while and want to discover my proven strategies for booking high-end commissions, email marketing, and more, I would love to help you. To book your free discovery call, all you need to do is go to shulmanart.com forward slash biz. That's B-I-Z. Tell me about yourself. I can't wait to talk to you. All right. Now back to our show. Okay. So we want to be able to expand our capacity. Let's talk about how do you work with clients Elaine, when you first get somebody to help them identify these blind spots and what they need help with?
0: Yeah, there are a couple of different ways I work with clients. So one way is oftentimes artists who have received an award through some sort of national group or something will get some training with me and then some one-on-one support as part of their award. So that's a great opportunity if you're getting a large chunk of money, right? It's a really good time to sit down with someone and just say, okay, am I going to be taxed on this? How much should I set aside? Mm. How am I going to, you know, leverage this into something so that it doesn't just end with this money, but maybe it continues in some way, right? So, that's one model. And I work with funders across the country for that. Another way I work with people, um, and this is for emerging artists typically. So, It tends to be people who are in the first five to seven years of their career and still sort of figuring things out and probably still have another source of income. For those individuals, we tend to meet either annually with a six-month check-in or quarterly if they'd prefer a little more hand-holding. And that is really just kind of, touching base on what are the five or six things they need to be paying attention to and using this as a moment where they can store store up some of their financial questions and touch base with me periodically. So that's a good model for someone who isn't in a position where they need a financial planner, right? Or they need someone to actually invest their assets. But they're just kind of figuring things out and need someone to help be held accountable a little bit. Mm. And a human to go to with some questions here and there. Um, So that's another model. And then the third model is someone who tends to be someone going through transition, but not exclusively. And it's someone who is leaving a full-time job or growing an area of their practice or moving to a new location or getting married or divorced or changing their practice in some way, right? It's some sort of major life change that tends to make them reach out and say, oh my gosh, I need to get my financial life in order. And for that type of of person, we usually have five sessions, usually within a three-month period. And it's sort of a jump start, you know, okay, what are we thinking about now? How are we managing through this? And then usually there's a six month later check-in or something. So so those are the kind of the three primary ways.
1: And before we got on this call, you were talking to me about the AIR approach. What, yeah. what is that? I think that my listeners would find that interesting.
0: Yeah. So the way I work with clients is through this CARE framework. It's K-A-I-R. And it stands for knowledge, action, intention, and results. And so what we do when someone starts working with us for the first time, we have them fill out a long questionnaire, and it basically assesses their knowledge their habits, and how much control they feel like they have over different areas of their finance. That's the K, the A, and the I. So we look for gaps, right? Does someone just have a couple questions about what type of receipts they need to be saving or how to best document the business purpose or what's deductible or what is a mutual fund anyway, right? Do they have just sort of general questions? That's a knowledge gap, and we can fill that usually pretty easily, or do they have an action gap or a habit gap? So they know what they should be doing, but they're not doing it for some reason. Sometimes then there are different solutions that might make sense for that person. Maybe it is a new system. Maybe it's a system that works better with their own inclinations, right? Even okay. if it's maybe a more old-fashioned system instead of a you know more apps or something, right? So what actions do you need to be taking and are you taking them? And then the intention gap is the one that's the most sort of interesting to me as someone who supports creatives, because that's this idea that there's a whole lot of things that are out of our control. So what can we do through a financial lens to make sure we have as much control as humanly possible and focus on those things? And then the last piece of it, the R, those are the actual numbers, right? So what numbers are we paying attention to and what numbers really matter to your creative business? For most artists, it's some combination of how much money are you making? How much are you spending? What net amount are you withdrawing from the business for your own personal use? So what's supporting you as a human? Yes. How much is in a cash reserve, an emergency reserve fund, or a rainy day fund, or, or whatever you want to call it? F off kind of fund sometimes rings really well if you don't want to work with someone but feel like you have to just for the money. Mm. And then possibly a measure of debt. So as you're managing debt, if you have debt, how does that compare to your income overall? And what are we doing to sort of make sure that's within a reasonable range? So those tend to be the metrics that we pay attention to.
1: Okay. So this is why sometimes you you look at this as therapy. <laughs> <laughs> <Indeed>. <laughs>
0: There's some things that have to go on between the ears. What's funny is I finished a program in financial therapy a few years ago, and I sit on the board of an organization called the Financial Therapy Association, and then I'm an accredited financial counselor. Okay. And all of that supports this notion that money isn't actually about the money at all, right? It's about the early childhood experiences we had with money that are affecting the decisions we make today, mm. or it's the sort of inside part that makes it really hard to charge more for our work because someone might say no, and that feels like a rejection of us as the artist as opposed to just a capitalism transaction, right? Right. So, you know, yes, there's knowledge about money and there's actions about money and habits that people can do. But oh my goodness, the interesting stuff really comes up and it doesn't actually have anything to do with the money at all.
1: Yeah. you know, There's one article I read of yours in Professional Artist Magazine. You were talking about pricing your art. So I'm just going to cue you up for it. But you basically said if you price too low, people are going to think... And if you price too high, people are going to think... So what's the problem there when you price
0: too low and too high?
1: Well, from a financial
0: standpoint, uh, you're probably not making enough sales. But it's also, they're going to think I'm an amateur, or they're going to think, I think so highly of myself. You know, She's so full of herself. She thinks she can command whatever number of zeros it is, right? right. And the problem with that is that It's just insane to let other people dictate our self-worth that way, right? You know, when you sort of step back and calling upon those peers, you know, to help you sort of identify the real value in your work and what's working with the body of work, Right. right? It comes down to, you know, what are your costs? What's your competition charging? What are your customers' value and what are they willing and able to pay? And then what makes you the most unique, capable person of doing what you're doing, right? And then all of those things answer the question, you know, oh, why would she charge that? Right. Well, it's because I'm the best person to do this. Or it's also the
1: matching is. the price with the venue, Hold so on. it's kind of like that story where Joshua Bell went down into a subway and put out a can and nobody would. It, so Joshua Bell, for those who don't know, he's a world class violinist who plays in Carnegie Hall and travels all over the world and has a million dollar violin. But when you stick him in the subway, no one really knows that. And they're not going to stick $100 in his violin case, but they're going to spend $200 to go see him at Carnegie Hall. Well, the same's true with your art. I remember years, this is years ago, I was selling my art in an outdoor art show, local Yoko thing. And there's young girl, I call her a young girl. She was a teen, I think she was a teenager or maybe she had just, she was in college. But she was basically leaned her artwork against the tree and put like a $5,000 price tag on it. Now, $5,000 for her art might've been appropriate, If it was hanging up in a gallery in Soho, but this was no gallery in Soho, this was a tree in a park. Mm -hmm. So you have to be very cognizant of the market that you're selling in.
0: Absolutely. That is so, so true. Especially if your work involves sales when you're surrounded by other artists, right? Yeah, They sort of define your market, right? Because someone who's wandering an art festival won't necessarily be able to discern huge, huge differences, right? Lots of our audience, you know, they're just simply not super educated when it comes to, you know, discerning the value of conceptual art or something.
1: Right. Her paintings also could have sold for $5,000 in an art festival had she presented it in a booth so a lot of it also comes down to presentation like i said you know joshua bell if you just open your violin case in the subway yeah that's a different presentation and the same thing with this this art and this is not a judgment on her art that whether it was worth five thousand dollars or not but it was not presented as if it was a five thousand dollar painting so of course nobody bought it or even considered it they're like okay she Doesn't know what she's doing,
0: (laughs) you know. (laughs) Like, yeah, it's just it's amazing. And you know, to your point about sort of setting something up in a booth, right? Thinking about that, we live in an experiential society, right? People are valuing experiences as opposed to sort of tangible things, and the idea of giving someone the experience of. Purchasing an original piece and interacting with the artist, there's real value in that. And throwing your work against a piece of a tree doesn't communicate that value, right? right? So hopefully now she's charging $3,000 and setting things up, you know, delightfully. I <laughs> well, wish I knew who
1: she was and followed
0: her career,
1: but yeah, I've, I've I really I have no idea. I don't remember who it was at all. Let's also talk about. Why it's important to work with somebody who works with artists and why wouldn't just any old CPA do?
0: Any old CPA could do, but that's not going to be a really good match. When it comes to taxes in particular, you need to have someone who's well-versed in understanding the types of things that are ordinary and necessary in creative fields, right? Because there are different types of deductions and they tend to go in different places on the tax return than they would for, you know, a retail store or a small CPA firm or something like that, right? So, the idea of Having an expert who's really literate in understanding the nuances of what's deductible for an artist is hugely important from a tax perspective. But there's another aspect to it too. If you work with someone who really kind of gets what you do and values what you do, as opposed to just a random name you found via Google, there's this opportunity to build this very symbiotic business relationship where you add them to your newsletter and they come to your shows and maybe they talk about you to their other clients, right? So this is part of that kind of professional network kind of thing too, where you can pay someone to do a task for you, bookkeeping or taxes or you know, your website or anything like that. And if you're connecting with them at a deeper level, right, you're getting much more bang for your buck. Yes. And meanwhile,
1: I'm just thinking about how my accountant has not bought any of my artwork. <laughs> has your
0: accountant come to your shows ever? The bookkeeper has. Okay, good. The place you have your business bank account, right? especially if it's a credit union or a local bank, or you can go physically into the branch there's an opportunity for some grant funding right there and Mm. or some sponsorships. It's amazing how people who are outside of the arts just desperately want to be part of the world. I am not a professional artist. I am a hobbyist and I have a love and appreciation for art, but I'm more of one of those outsiders who just adores people who make their life making the world a better, more beautiful, more interesting place. And so the idea that you would invite us to come to a show, that is super cool, right? So exploit
1: those relationships. Uh, artists sometimes forget how cool we are that people want to call somebody there you know who's an artist their friend they want to have you in their world it's an incredible thing to make something
0: out of your imagination yes your cpa should have one of your pieces hanging in his or her office just to be able to point to it and say oh my gosh one of my clients did this yeah they're a professional artist
1: yeah that's a good way of of selling it to him okay i'm gonna keep that in (laughs) mind Alright, so you can find Elaine in a lot of different places. First of all, you can start off just by ordering her book. That's Arts and Numbers. We've put the link to that on the show notes. You can also visit MinervaFinancialArts.com. And why is it called Minerva? Is that your maiden name? How'd you come
0: up with that? That's a great question. Minerva was the Roman goddess of arts and commerce oh, and wisdom. Very and nice. I tend to believe you need all three in combination to run a successful business, creative or otherwise. You need some arts, some business, and some wisdom. Perfect. I love that explanation. All right. So we included a link to her
1: website, MinervaFinancialArts.com, as well as links to all her social
0: media accounts. Which one's your favorite, Elaine? Ooh, that's a tough one. I aspirationally want to love Instagram the most because that's where all the cool people are. But realistically, uh, it's probably Facebook.
1: <laughs> all right. So if you want people to like tag you on Instagram,
0: what's that? Yes, it's MinervaFinArts.
1: Okay, so if you want her to check you out and follow you, she might be collecting your art. So tag her on Instagram. We'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. All right, Elaine, do you have any last words for my listeners before we call
0: this podcast complete? Oh my gosh. Well, it's just been such a pleasure spending a few moments with you. This is such an important topic. And ultimately, as you said, it's not about the numbers. If you as a creative person never have to say yes to something you'd rather say no to just for the money, you win. That is total and complete creative freedom. And so if we can give you a little bit of financial empowerment, then that can lead you to that creative freedom so that you never have to say yes to something you'd rather say no to. And that's my dream for all of your listeners.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Elaine. We Really appreciate having you on today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Don't forget, you can grab the show notes at shulmanart.com forward slash 47. And I just want to remind you to subscribe to my podcast. And if you're not, why don't you do that right now? because I don't want you to miss an episode. And if you're not subscribed, there's a good chance you're gonna miss out on one of those. So wherever you listen, just hit that subscribe button. And if you're feeling extra loving, I'd be really grateful if you left me a review over on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Just go to shulmanart.com forward slash iTunes, or if you're already in the app, just scroll down to ratings and reviews, and then click on write a review. If you put in your Instagram handle, I will give you a shout out on Instagram. I would love to know what your favorite part of the podcast is. Okay, guys, thank you so much for being with me here today. I will see you same time, same place next week. Make it a great one. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart on Instagram at shulmanart and of course on shulmanart.com. If you're interested in hearing how you can earn more for your passion with concrete marketing and business strategies that work, head on over to shulmanart.com forward slash biz. That's shulmanart.com forward slash biz. B.I.C.